You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. Welcome to the Halloween Unleashed podcast. And now, here are your hosts for the week. Welcome, everybody, to Halloween Unleashed. And I am your host, Chris Morgan. And today marks the series finale on Marianne Hagen. And I uh, just want to go ahead and thank her once again for graciously giving us her time uh, to reflect, to go back, to paint pictures from her perspective on what it was like to work on Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, or Halloween 6, or Halloween 666, whatever you want to call it. Um, it it's just been really, really uh, extraordinary for us to be able to peek behind the curtain with Dan Farrens and with Marianne Hagen and uh, Halloween unleashed uh, since the better part of this season has been just absolutely filled with Halloween six information and episodes um, in exactly nine days. Uh, we're going to be doing the live photography Halloween unleashed live episode where I'm going to go over uh, different camera camera photography with DSLR, um, cell phones, different apps that you can use so that you can take better pictures. I know it's been said multiple, multiple times that, well, Chris has already done an episode on cell phone photography. That's okay. This one's going to be a live episode, not an audio version. So, um, you know, if if you download the Zoom app, or if you're going to do this by on your PC, which is the easiest way to do it, but if you're not going to do it on a PC and you're going to do it from a tablet or an iPad or an iPhone or Android, just go into your uh, Google Play Store or you know um, Apple Store and look for um, Zoom. And uh, you know, if you're part of the Halloween Unleashed group. I post all the links and the access and all that stuff. It's going to be 9 o'clock, May 17th. Um, that's a Sunday night that was voted um, to be the best night to do it. And uh, following the airing of that episode the, the following week, I'm going to be taking a few weeks off. So that is going to be pretty much the mid-season finale. It's kind of hard to believe that we're already at mid-season feels like we just started season two, but uh, we will be back on uh, June 12th and we will uh, air Sandy Johnson's episode and uh, on the 12th and hopefully on the 19th. I, I haven't even begun to start putting her interview together yet, but uh, we've got about an hour and 45 minutes worth of uh, content with her. So hopefully uh, we can do the 12th and the 19th. And then on June 28th, we are going to be bringing Marion Hagen back to the show. And we're going to do Halloween live or Halloween unleashed live once again with her live on the zoom call with everybody. And uh, we're going to be able to take calls and, you know, ask questions that you, maybe you still have questions to. You know, I, we covered a lot, but maybe I didn't cover everything and that's okay. Everybody has their own questions, their own insights of 
hey, I wonder what she felt like, or I wonder this, or I wonder that, and maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't cover it, and that's totally fine. So you'll have a chance with her on June 28th. Um, we're going to announce a few things together, which is going to be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, so then after that, we're going to start shifting our focus into the October release of Halloween Kills. So a lot of uh, the content coming up post June 28th will be all about the new Halloween coming out in October and uh, going to definitely try to get together once a month for a uh, live episode. And um, I got something special in September that I'm going to announce here real soon uh, for a live episode in September. So stay tuned for all that. But uh, once again, I do not have a co-host this week. I elected to do this solo um, just because, you know, this last episode is long enough and you didn't need an extra 30 minutes of my co-host and I. Uh, breaking down things that you're already going to be hearing. So with that being said, um, we're going to air this once again. Thank you, Marianne, for everything that you do for all of us. Thank you for the posters. Thank you for giving up your time on a Friday night with me and giving Halloween Unleashed a chance and giving all of us a chance to get to know a little bit more about you, your experience on Halloween 6, and just overall for becoming one of my favorite people that I've had the opportunity to get to know. Um, I will cherish this experience uh, for the rest of my days. And um, I know when all this pandemic is over, we have plans to link up and get together and I cannot wait for that. So please on the comment section, uh, when this episode drops, just give her a little love. Um, she she totally deserves it for being able to give up that much time for our entertainment and our joy. So thank you once again, Marianne. And for those of you that still want a poster signed by Marianne Hagen, what I have been doing is uh, since the Dan Farrens and Marion Hagen episodes have come out, there's been a lot of requests for Halloween six masks. So uh, which has been great. But what I also started to do is include with the, with the conversion or repaint or, or, or a, a Halloween six mask is I've been including um the Marianne Hagen signed poster. Now I have been getting a lot of DMS. Well, are you still uh, accepting orders for um, personalized? No, I, that part of it is over with. So the poster you're going to get same poster, it's just going to be signed by Marianne Hagen and she has her character name, Kara Strode right below it. Um, still a beautiful poster, but I, I tried for a couple of weeks to get as many people as I potentially could for personalizations. And um, once that was done, that was done because, yeah, I did a, a complete uh, cattle call, I guess you could say, for anybody that wants personalization. I did it for over a couple of weeks and said once once these slots are, once these posters are shipped, you know, that's it. And that's pretty much what happened. So uh, you can still get a poster signed by her. It's just not going to be personalized to you. 
but uh, they are 11 by 17 and they are absolutely amazing quality so please be sure to um, to shoot me a direct message if you're interested in one and we will see everybody back on May 17th for the live uh, the Halloween Unleashed live episode when we talk about photography and how to get better pictures of your collection um, and I'm really looking forward to that. So everybody have a wonderful week. I hope everybody's staying safe and at least trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, it's probably not going to be normal for quite a while, but hopefully you're, you're able to get uh, a little bit more relief, especially when it comes to your bills and different things that you have to do to provide for your family. So keep everybody safe and we'll see you everyone on the live episode on May 17th. Have a good one. It's like what an honor mm -hmm. and privilege it was to work with the late Donald Pleasance. Walk us through mm -hmm. how you met him, when you met him. Do you remember your first words to him? And overall, how was he to work with since his health was really beginning to deteriorate. Yeah. Um, I know this sounds so lame, but I don't remember like the first time I met him. Um, I know you asked Daniel this question, but I, I honestly, I don't remember like the first moment I met him. I remember just being brought to set and he was there, sitting in his chair. And I was so intimidated and in awe. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I went up to him, I introduced myself, and he was so lovely. And I just, I really was so in awe of him because you know his whole body of work is extraordinary even outside of being Dr. Loomis sure what he's done you know we all know right so I was just like bowing down to him at every moment but uh, he he was definitely um I think, you know, well, I don't think, I know. He was in declining health at that time. And I didn't know it. Um, I don't I don't know who knew it. I think maybe Mustafa knew it uh, because they, they were close for years. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kept very private and he was there with his, his, his then wife who was, you know, looking after him. And when I look back on it now, everything makes sense. When I realized he was, you know, he had heart issues. Right. Uh, he was in a really bad place with the heart issues. And everything makes sense, like how slow he was moving um, and how much care he needed uh, to get around, etc. And after the news of him passing away and finding out why, I just thought, oh my God, right. And then I thought of so many moments on set where he needed help 
to do things, like just get into the chair, for example. And uh, he, yeah, he, but it was his swan song. And I just think it's so brilliant and amazing that Halloween 6 was his last movie. I just love, I mean, and I think he loved it too. He loved the character of Dr. Loomis. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he created the role, and so it was his it's his thing, you know. It was totally him. Do you uh, um, do you happen to recall how long he was on set for? Like, because you were there the entire five weeks, but my my recollection is he was there the entire five weeks as well. Was he really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, the last scene of the movie where uh, Tommy and Kara and Danny are in the red Jeep and about to take off. Mm-hmm. And he comes to the, to the window of the door. Um, yeah, the, I think that was like the last night we shot after five weeks. We were freezing. I've never been so cold in my life. It was crazy. And Donald Pleasant lacking a sense of humor I say to him um, you know come with us and his line is I I have some things I need to take care of and you know the director yelled cut and he said and now I'm going to the Bahamas (laughs) and we all laughed so hard because it was like the end of the shoot, and we were we had been cold for five weeks, like freezing. Um, and he just didn't miss a beat, and just said, "And now I'm off to the Bahamas," and we howled with laughter. We just loved it, <laughs> um, and and. We agreed. We were like, yes, let's all go to the Bahamas together. That would be so fun. That would be so great. What's um, What's interesting, I'm in, in reading the draft that I read, uh, which was like the fifth draft, I believe, um, is obviously... No, is the fifth draft the draft that was the fifth draft of us being on the set? Or no, no. Was- this was, was that the fifth draft of like being given to the actors auditioning, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I and Dan doesn't recall either because you know I asked okay. him off air is like what, yeah. wh- where was this in in terms of what the actor saw versus uh, what was being rewritten on set? And he says, to be honest with you, I was rewriting so much I don't know. He said I'm only guessing that this is like the fifth draft that I did. So right, he said, right. he, he said, I do know that this is like the earliest draft that I have. So yeah, your, your, your guess right. is as good as mine on that. Um, now, you know, speaking of the cold there, um, obviously George Wilbur busted his ass when he was, uh, chasing you and you and Danny across the street. Did you happen to have any accidents like, like George did, um, due to the ice that uh, was was there? 
No, no, I I did not. Did George have an accident? Yeah, he. I, I, what yeah, happened? Yeah, there was. Uh, he was stepping off of uh, the Myers house porch, and as he's going to step off of that, he I guess he slipped and busted his ass. Oh my god! I, I, you know what? I wasn't in that scene, and I, I, that's uh, amazing. I, I just didn't know about that. Yeah. Did Dan know about it? Yeah, yeah. He, he totally did. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. I mean, I didn't ask, I didn't, I didn't ask him about it on the podcast because it's something that he and I have, have talked about. Right, right. And he goes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He totally, he totally busted his ass. And I was like, okay. I, you know, I, I, I didn't know that. And he didn't share that with anyone, which just shows you how classy George Wilbur was. Class or is class act all the way class 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 he's old school um he just oh was such a gentleman and he also like stood up for himself he was absolutely uh a union member and he was not going to let anyone tell him Oh, he has to come in early tomorrow to do something. He was, and which I would have been terrified to to say. I mean, we were all asked to come in early, you know, before our call times and sort of fudge union rules. And I remember being in the the diner area of the hotel, and the first AD, Chris Garrity. Um, his name was, um, and he came up to George and said, you know, hey, man, which every actor gets, like, hey, can you, you know, we really got behind today, and um, we're really going to need you to come in early tomorrow uh, because union rules give you a turnaround of, of 12 hours. And if you break that, you know, you have to pay the person, the actor, a lot of money, um, like $2,000. I mean, they make it difficult. Uh, and he said, no way, not unless, no, I, I'm happy to come in early tomorrow, but you're going to need to pay me my wage. And I remember wow. thinking like, wow, Ballsy. that's how you do it, man. That's how you do it. He'd been around, he was, you know, old school. He'd been in the business for so many years. He was not going to be taken advantage of, you know? Yeah. And it was just amazing to see someone be that uh, confident in themselves and what he was asking for. He was, he, he, he is the best. I mean, he's great. Yeah, always always been a sweetheart um and every time i've i've met him more more than gracious um right i know yeah just really excited you know to to be mentioned to be thought of and was very honored to play the role so um absolutely and you love hearing that because there's so many people 
that get into these roles or characters, which is why it's like I've been so complimentary of you as a person because it's easy it's easy where you, when you're at a convention and you're and you're signing. Um, it's different when you're reached out to personally and then you get to know somebody. It's it's different. And that's the one thing that I can honestly say is um, you, Dan, George, various other people are just so gracious and so nice to the general public. And you don't you don't act like that. Anybody's any different because that's the well, that's just who you course. are. It's just who I, you are. You know, it's oh my it's in your soul. It's it's part of your heart and you can't you can't you can't fake that. And you can tell when people are extremely genuine and that's one of the things that you know, I've admired about a lot of people within this cast that I've met that that are all the same way. You know, very gracious, very just loving people and you can tell that. And you can tell when someone's putting on a show. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for saying that. Um, I'm glad that that kind of shows, but I, I think you're you're accurate about that. Um, it it was a bunch of really good people involved with this movie. Well, you definitely didn't get um, didn't get the movie that you set out to make. That that is for sure. No. Um, no. Which is again highly unfortunate. Um, now, yeah. here we go. Are you ready? I was born ready. Uh, great answer. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we're 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 we're, we're quoting the Halloween twenty five years of terror DVD. Um, uh huh. You mentioned that Joe Chappelle had zero interest in making Halloween 6. And I, I stress the zero because I'm trying to do my best Marion Hagen impersonation. Um, trying. Uh, but you had zero interest in making Halloween 6. And that he only cared about his three-picture deal with Miramax. What gave you that impression of him? Mm. Okay. Uh, maybe I was being a bit hyperbolic when I said that. Um, but I was... Chris, what you need to understand is my heart was broken for years after Halloween 6 came out. Um, and I think Daniel felt the same way and I think other people who were involved with it felt the same way. My heart was broken. And I guess maybe I was placing the blame on Joe Chappelle in that interview. Um, however, uh, um, you know, Joe was up against, I guess, a lot of challenges. Um, you know, Daniel discussed, you know, Bob Weinstein calling and screaming, um, during the reshoots, I don't want any ropes, any fucking ropes in this movie, blah, blah, blah. And so he was obviously under a lot of pressure from Bob Weinstein and Dimension. Um, but I, I, I really wasn't so much aware of that on the set. I just felt that 
he, um, I really didn't get to know him very well. Um, and it's strange because I, I really, I fell in love with Daniel, obviously. I fell in love with Paul. I fell in love with Mariah. I fell in love with, uh, George Wilbur. I just fell in love with everyone on the set, but I really never spoke to uh, Joe Chappelle. And uh, I just figured he was doing a job and he was under a lot of pressure. So I didn't want to bother him about, like, asking him, like, was that a good take? Did you like that? Should I do something different? Um, I just kind of didn't want to bother him. So, um, and, I, and I've never seen him or spoken to him after. I, I've done a, a lot of one-hour episodics, uh, TV, you know, like the Law and Order. And that's actually what Joe Chappelle went on to do. Right. Um, he directed a lot of one-hour, like, uh, uh, CSI Miami's and those you know, one hour episodics. Um, and in that situation, yes, it's very common for a director to really just say like, that, that was great. We got it. Moving on. Checking the gate. Moving on. Um, and, uh, but not to this in film. Uh, you know, I went on to do other movies, uh, all indie films, by the way. Uh, and the director is very much in your face directing, like, let's try it again, but let's, you know, maybe she should be more, um, vulnerable in this. Like, this is what's going on. And she's got this going on. She's got that going on and blah, blah, blah. So maybe just, you know, try to just play it up just a little bit more, you know, vulnerable, thin-skinned, you know, you know what I mean. I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. And, or I think I know what you mean. And, and then you do it again, yeah. Directors are usually a lot more hands-on in directing the acting sure. portion of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, yeah. you know, I, I look at it this way, not... Just for people that are listening or are like, I have no idea what Marianne and Chris are even talking about right now. Mm-hmm. I I look at it as, because I have two little kids and they're looking at me all the time for approval. And it's not approval yeah. that, hey, pat me on the back, tell me what a good job. It's not that. It's you become such a family together on set that the director is like the patriarch of the production, um, at least to the actors. And that is almost like a father figure on set. So to get that way to go, I'm proud of you, um, not of approval from the patriarch of that set is the same (laughs) thing. If you're, if, if you're looking for a parent's approval and that's the way I've always tried to look at it and say, you know, even though these aren't all my kids and I don't like to demean anybody like that. I'm just trying to paint a picture for those that don't understand is I like to, I like to always let 
people that are coming out and working their ass off for me know that it's appreciated, mm -hmm. know when they're doing a great job, and then helping them become even better than they already are because maybe they, they, they performed it in a way that I'm, I'm blown away and I'm just going, holy shit, yeah, explain to me how, how you got there because now I want to know because, yeah, I, that's not exactly what I had in mind, but you totally took my vision and blew it out, blew it out of the water. It's fantastic. So I've been in right. situations like that before just because of the performance. So mm. again, you know, we, we can go on about this all night, but again, that is, that is so strange. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it just, um, I mean, we were like children looking to the director for approval. And I know a lot of actors who, um, well, one in particular, a friend of mine who's kind of famous, she's Sheldon made nameless, but she was working on an indie film and she was the lead and she finished a scene and the director said nothing. And she said, how was that? And he said, that was fine. And she said, fine is not the answer I'm looking for. Give me great. Give me that was fabulous. Or tell me we need to do it again. Right. But fine does not comfort me, you know. So um, it happens, you know, to to everybody. Um, all right. All right. So here we are. We're going to get into the test, test audiences and reshoots. Um, yeah. Once again, that favorite DVD of ours, um, you know, you tell us that the, the test screening for the producer's cut was, cons was consisted of 14-year-old boys. So clar clarify that a little bit. That You know, that's what I heard through the grapevine. Uh -huh. um, like as Daniel mentioned in his interview, uh, they did it for a bunch of inner city teenage kids, um, you know, in, in the Bronx. And... Uh, they didn't like it, apparently. <laughs> and uh, they wrote on their, you know, they give you cards, I guess, to fill out. And sort of the gist was uh, there wasn't enough gore and the ending sucked. So what I have been told is that that screening was absolutely the reason for the reshoot. Like, they they took that screening um, and the responses to that screening very seriously um, as being a test audience for the movie. And that's why we were all called back, uh, which stunned me because I never in a million years thought that the movie wasn't done. We all went to a cast and crew screening in the spring in Los Angeles. Uh, it was a finished film, um, and that was it. Like, we were done. Right. And then 
I got a call uh, later in the summer of uh, 95 saying um, they want to do a week of reshoots for Halloween 6 in Los Angeles. And I was so concerned about the continuity. You know, I'm such a weirdo about that. Like, uh, and the costume designer had thrown out or had gotten rid of our costumes because she didn't know any better. She thought the movie was done. Right. And they had to rebuild, you know, the white dress that I wear um, in the last third of the movie. Um, And I was so concerned because they were using different fabric that people might notice, oh, it's not the same dress. But, of course, nobody noticed. It was just my, my little thing you know um but uh yeah so we were brought back and by that point clueless had come out and paul jokingly said to me he's like yeah now i walk through airports and gay men and 14 year old girls assault me they're all in love with me um because they're just you know they love his character from Clueless. Sure. And uh, when we were in Salt Lake City, I coached him on his callback for Clueless. He had, to, he had to fly back to L.A. for a day just for this callback. And, um, you know, I coached him on it. And we were so excited when he found out he got it. And we went out and celebrated that night in Salt Lake City. And it was really, it was just, it's grand. It was great. Um, and, but at that point, you know, Paul had started to grow his hair longer. Uh-huh. And he really didn't want to get it cut, but they had to cut it for the reshoot. And I had chopped my hair off. And they had to give me extension. Did they really? To Matt. Oh, yeah. Big time. And um, uh, I think those things matched. I think the things that you and Daniel were talking about that didn't match is like the lighting and the cinematography because there was a different cinematographer and different lighting. So you can kind of tell. I mean, what I've told my family is basically when I go out of the window, which, by the way, is not me. It's a stunt double. Um, from that moment on, it's all reshoot, except for the very last scene when we're in the red jeep saying goodbye. <laughs> um, that was from Salt Lake City. And then every kill prior to that was, like as Daniel said, if it, if it was a, a five kill, make it a ten. Right. Um, just just really pump up the volume on the kills. And both Paul and I had a lot of problems with making this a gore fest. It's not what we signed on to do. And and it was kind of painful. We didn't want our names associated with something that was like yeah, like grotesque. We signed on to do Daniel Sarah's script that he wrote, that we read, 
that we went in and we auditioned for, um, it was very difficult during the reshoot. Um, it, it was pretty painful, actually, because it just—it just wasn't something that we would have signed on to do um, originally, and. You know, it's all Monday morning quarterbacking at this point. But uh yeah, it was kinda of, it was kind of upsetting because we, we we had to do it. There was no way out of it. But um we didn't agree with it. Right. Um and also we both felt had Daniel Ferris' script been shot originally the thing that's called the producer's cut, um, even that's not Daniel's script. There's so many scenes that were chopped out and things that were changed. So even the producer's cut that people seem to like more, believe me, if, if Daniel Ferrin's script had been shot from page one to page 90 or 95 or whatever it was, you would have been blown away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the producer's cut, um, at the, at the very end, was it, was it explained to you? I mean, I, I mean, we've already established that Joe didn't really talk to you. So, uh, um, but Mm -hmm. was it, was it ever explained why Kara was put chained to the table and in a white dress much like Jamie Lloyd was? I mean, what was what was the... No. Mm-mm. No, it, you know, it's interesting because I heard you and Brandon discussing this and he said about our movie that Jamie was, you know, chained to yes. this slab in this very uh, amazing um ornate druid sort of, you know, I don't know, basement or something. Um, uh, no, actually, I, I believe it, it was actually, I think it was part of Daniel's script, but it, it all made sense if everything else had made sense. You see, the thing is, if you take one piece out of the puzzle, then everything doesn't fit. And, um, but it was me, not Jamie, just FYI, because in mm-hmm. your interview with Brandon uh, for Daniel's fifth episode, right? Um, yeah, it was me that was changed to the. Well, right? ja- I mean, well, Jamie was mm-hmm. too when uh, she was in the uh, hospital and she's dreaming. Uh, she dreams yeah. back to when she was I, impregnated. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that that is so insane that anyone interpreted that as being any sort of incest incest thing. Never in million years that crossed my mind and it makes me think oh my god like what 
what made people think that? Because apparently a lot of people thought that. And, I mean, just, you know, completely blank for me. Never in a million years did I think that Jamie Lloyd's scene was about Michael Myers uh, and, and they're being, ugh, just disgusting. That anyone would think that. No, that was never intended. So if people saw that, you know, I guess they saw it. Well, but, once again, um, I, I guess we'll take a time out to thank our friends over at Pornhub for giving uh, Paul Freeman those suggestions. I, I've I've argued that for several years with people, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, but you know the the way it was shot and the way it came out, it. I guess it could. Was, it was could that be in the theatrical release? Or are you talking no. about the producers' cut? Just all in the producers' cut, because all the stuff. I mean that. Okay. And in the theatrical, they actually had robes in those scenes, so they they weren't allowed in those scenes apparently. So uh, they had to be cut out. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no but yeah, fucking yeah. robes in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I, I heard what Daniel said and that was actually exactly what went down. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. you get the, did, did, uh, when you guys had a screening t- together, um, was Donald Pleasance able to be at that, or was he at a head no. passed away, or what? No, yeah, unfortunately, he had already passed. It was um, in the spring mm-hmm. uh, of '95, and he passed away in February '95. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he had he had already passed away, and that's why it was inconceivable that we would ever be brought back for reshoots. Not only did we sit through this very grand cast and crew screening, but our lead character, Dr. Loomis, the legendary Donald Trump, you know, had ceased being on this earth. So, of course, the movie was done. And we were moving on, and then we got the call in late summer. Um, And I remember being on the set in L.A., um, and while I was not obsessing about how the continuity wasn't going to work, and I was so worried about that, I also thought, oh, my God, I can't believe they're releasing this movie in a month. So, like, we have to be really good. Because this is, they're releasing it, and they released it at the end of September, Um, which I was like, that's a whole month before Halloween. Like, people aren't even really thinking about Halloween at the end of September. I mean, let's get into October a little bit, Uh just a little bit, you know. But I guess they had their reasons for it. You know, I'm not on the business side of things, so... I don't. I know they they think long and hard about these decisions, and they have their reasons. So, I'm sure there was a reason for it. For sure. Um, did yeah. <laughs> did <laughs> did you expect 
the reshoots to be as extensive as they were when you were called back, or did you just think, well, we just have to go do a couple pickups? I mean, how was that? How was that laid out to you? Well, it was actually really shocking because of, um, I, you know, as I mentioned, how are they going to do reshoots? Donald Pleasance is no longer with us on the Earth, so. Um, how is this going to work? And uh, they hired an actor who looked like Donald Pleasance from behind. And um, I can't remember if they sent us, uh, I mean, they, they had to have sent us the material, but it, it just seemed very confusing. And I remember, you know, just being with Paul and, we were like, hello, can mm-hmm. you, what the fuck is going on? Can you fucking believe this shit? And it was just very confusing uh, why, why we were uh, doing the reshoots and how it was going to ever work. Um. It was challenging. You know, I need to be honest. I'm like going back in time trying to remember. Um, I guess, I, you know, we had to have been given, you know, a portion of the rewrites. But I, I honestly don't really remember getting rewrites. And if we got rewrites, they weren't from Daniel. So they weren't something that I would remember. And it was just kind of, um, it was kind of torturous, to be honest, because, uh, like, Paul and I were like, I can't fucking believe that, like, we're putting our names on a movie that's going to have all this disgusting violence unnecessary violence in it. And it's not what we signed up to do. But we had no... I mean, even Paul didn't have any power. And, you know, if anyone could have said no, it would have been Paul. Right. But he had signed a contract and had to do it. And, and uh, you know, over the summer, he'd become instantly famous. And his career was skyrocketing and he was miserable and I was miserable too and we were kind of miserable together and we couldn't believe like how are they doing this without Donald Pleasant I mean are you kidding me well I mean I think everyone was very tortured about it including Joe Chappelle I don't think Joe Chappelle wanted to be there either no, he was he was busy doing uh, Hellraiser stuff, um, but he also uh, and and again, I mean you've 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 heard this, but uh, you know it's been it's been reported over the years too is maybe Miramax didn't uh, didn't value the Loomis character because of those test screenings and you know felt like well we got enough with him we can insert him in him. Uh, but he's not essential to what we're going to end up with because of the fact that we're going to reshoot a third of the film. 
And that's all, that's the only explanation that makes sense because uh, I, you know, I do think things changed after that test screening that Dimension did, and I think they really took the comments to heart. But what they didn't understand is that that audience is not the fans of Halloween. And the fans of Halloween, I've gotten to know them over the years, and they don't necessarily want a lot of gore and blood and guts and stuff um, and a big blowout at the end. Um, They want a movie that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, but I, it's, it was, it was just very, it seemed, it's weird. I'm, I'm trying to think back about that time and I just remember it being so surreal because Paul had become like instantly famous over the summer and Donald Pleasance had passed and we were all different people. And we were there doing these reshoots, and no one really knew why exactly. And no one had been told the third part of the movie, the last third third of the movie, the third act, Mm -hmm. is um, reshoots. Actually, a funny little note, not to digress. But at some point over the years, my mother said to me, she said, Marianne, your father and I called movie Halloween 6 on TV the other night, and I just have to tell you, my favorite scene of yours is when you go out the window. And I said, Mom, that wasn't me. That was a stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, um, Mom. That, that wasn't me. That was a stunt double. Uh, I'll pass along to her. She did a great job. But I mean, it is kind of a coup when you get a stunt double that looks so much like you. That I was, was going to say that. I'll tell you what What I thought is the way they had the camera angled. I thought that it was actually you that jumped out of the window and they just had a mat right below the camera and you landed on that. That's what I thought. But Mm-mm. Yeah, no, I think my mom thought that too. No. But also, as Daniel always pointed out, that the stunt double did a swan dive out the window, and no one who's jumping out a window to get away from Michael Myers is going to, like, do a swan dive, like like an Olympic dive. You know, you just go out the window however you go out the window, and cracked me up so much and I've never been able to look at that scene the same way again because I always notice that the stunt double an amazing woman um, just arches her back and does a swan dive. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, um, the, even the, the Dan and I thought it was funny. It, no, no, to, totally. It, it's it's just <laughs> here's 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 where my mind is, and this is you'll you'll you'll, you'll appreciate this. 
Speaking yeah. of things not making sense, producer's cut or theatrical cut doesn't matter. Someone jumping out a two-story window all the way to the ground is not going to be up running around an hour later. No. That was – no, because in both in both cuts, Kara, Kara was perfectly fine, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. No broken yeah, no, bones, I no nothing. I come out the – I come out – yeah, I go out the window – and then from then on, it's pretty much um, the theatrical release that they redid. Yeah. Um, except for the very last scene in the red jeep. Right. It um, just it just n- never made any sense to me. It's like why mm-hmm. why when they're they're right not not Dan but the producers are sitting around going okay well we're gonna have her jump out of a window but now we're gonna have her getting up and running around in a sanitarium a little bit later, or in the theatrical cut, we're going to have her just hanging out, chilling in this uh, room that we're going to lock her in. And then she's, then she's going to be running. It just, again, you would expect, you know, uh, some scrapes, some bruises, broken collarbone, broken back, something that you just, you're not going to get up and walk away from that. It just logic tells you that. Yep. Chris, you're assuming that the people that you, you say, like, you would think one of the producers or somebody would say something. You're assuming that there was a lifeguard on duty, and there wasn't. Right. There was no lifeguard on duty in the original shoots in Salt Lake City and then in the reshoots. I mean, the lifeguard we had on duty was Paul Freeman in the original, like, five weeks. And then the, the week of reshoots we had in Los Angeles, I, I can't even remember who who was producing it or, or there to sort of um, make sure things were going well, you know, and, and I know that that's so crazy for people to hear. Like, how could that even be possible? And that that was the case. Yeah. It was two thirty in the morning, standing around, people like spitballing, like, so how should we end this movie? And Paul and I begging, like, can't we do an extra day? I mean, there's no way. We can do this tonight. Can't we just get it tomorrow, an extra day? And we were told, there's no way that this is it. This is it. Money has been spent. This is absolutely it. And then everyone was like, oh, like maybe um, a mask should be on the ground and, you know, hypodermic needle placed beside it and it'll be like confusing and then we'll hear a pleasant scream and then we'll show a jack-o'-lantern and that might be interesting and get people you know excited about the next one I, you know it just it was like I mean basically 
Brandon said, it sounds like it was chaos. And um, it was very organized chaos. I mean, no one was freaking out. Sure. Uh, in a, like, an obvious way. But internally, I think everyone was freaking out. And it was just sort of like, I can't believe this is even happening. Like, really? Well, you know, you had you had really nobody steering the ship that i mean it seemed like even at that point they're like well we're gonna do reshoots make it more gory Mm -hmm. uh but at Mm -hmm. the same time they had no clue what they wanted to do so it was just a mishmash of just stuff just flung against the wall it felt like well exactly you know um dan i actually can't remember this did dan say anything about this in his interviews was he asked to write like the reshoots because i don't remember him being asked to write the reshoot no he he did make an and he did make an off comment about it but i didn't want to interrupt his his train of thought and i never followed up but he did make an off comment that okay well um i don't even know what any of this stuff is why did i stay up all night writing and he said that he had nothing left to contribute um creatively well so. i mean yeah i mean they're fucking idiots i mean they should have just said daniel will pay you this x amount of money to write all the stuff that we need to reshoot and he would have happily done it and it would have been brilliant but you know i mean there's so many people who hate halloween six and I've encountered them over the years, and I try to explain. Like, I- I've been so defensive about it, you know. Like, you don't know what happened. I mean, Daniel Fonzo's script was so brilliant, and then we encountered some bad luck with weather and Salt Lake City. We had to like take scenes out, rip scenes out of the original script, and then it didn't make much sense, and then. Then we had to do reshoots eight months later um, in a totally different location. The costumes had been thrown out. Everyone had cut their hair or grown their hair out. We had to try and make it match. And you just have no idea what went on behind the scenes. It's really easy to criticize. But I think as Daniel said in his interview, like, you make a movie and yeah. then you talk to Exactly. Then you talk to me. Right? Yep. Because no, people who totally. haven't made a movie, they have no idea of all the unforeseen fuck-ups, excuse my French, that happen, you know, on you know, a day-to-day basis. And every fuck-up that happens sets the movie schedule back. Right. And then you know, you're running out of money and then you've got to finish it. And, you know, it's so obvious to people like you and me who actually made movies, but it's not obvious necessarily to someone who hasn't made a movie, right? Absolutely. No, it's it's easy to sit back and criticize. It's easy to sit back and, yep. and, and, and blame. And that's one of the arguments I get into mostly. It's like, I'm like, I say all the time, I'll take Halloween 6 over anything that they've done 
post-Halloween 6 any day of the week. And the argument that always comes back is, well, I can't say how you'd, you'd, you'd say that other than the fact that your friends with Daniel is, you know, they had a they had an incest scene in there. And I'm like... And never in a million years did incest cross my mind. I'm sorry. I just don't... I, it's just not in my head to think that way. Um, and I think Daniel said that as well. Um, but, I mean, maybe there was something unintended unintended I, I i don't know never crossed my mind it's yeah i i don't know the people are i don't know people see what they want to see they hear what they want to hear and then they make their opinion over something that they don't really know anything about um yeah. as i've said early on um Daniel had the screenwriting credit, but he didn't necessarily have that. That was not his, his original intention for the film. And unfortunately, because his name, yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, because his name is in the title as a writer, obviously he wrote everything here and let's just blame him. And people don't realize that, Guys, he's a writer. There's there's other people on set. There's there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, especially on this production. And yeah, there was a lot and and, and there was a lot of people involved. And but Daniel Ferens is such a perfectionist and he knew exactly what his vision was for this movie. And I know how painful it must have been for him to have his name on the credits when the theatrical release was uh, not entirely his script at all. And I know that just must have been really painful. It's great because he has, like, the credit, and I get that, but... um, he really cared slash cares about the Halloween franchise and the whole series. And, uh, I just, I've always just known like that must've been really painful to have to take that kind of criticism when you were, you know, not really, it wasn't your idea. It wasn't his idea to end the movie the way it was ended, both in the producer's cut and the theatrical release. That was not the ending that Dan wrote in either version. I mean, nobody knows nothing. Um, right. No, you're, yeah. you're, you're 100% correct. Um, let me ask you this question just out of own curiosity, uh, when was the first time you saw the theatrical cut? Uh, I saw it, uh, when, um, when it actually was released, um, in Chelsea, in New York City, um, it was the Clearview Cinemas in Chelsea and my whole family and a bunch of friends, we all went. Um, 
that Friday when it was released. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't given to critics beforehand, um, you know, which is always like the kiss of death. Right. When they write in newspaper, like, this movie was not, you know, available for, uh, you know, to be pre-screened for reviews. And you know, okay, it's going to be murdered. Uh, it'll be in Saturday's paper and just killed. Um, and uh, we all went, and that's when I saw the theatrical release. It was just my, my my whole family and a whole bunch of my friends. We all went to the Clearview Cinemas in Chelsea, uh, and we saw it all together. And um, there's a lot to take in. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't really show, like, my, like, that I was kind of, like, confused and, you know, I mean, I don't want to trash the theatrical release. It's just, it it is what it is. And it happened because it happened. Um, but I, I was shocked. But I had to be on for my family and my friends and, you know, host the party and be happy about it. Uh, and then, you know, when I got home, and I thought about it. I just thought, wow, that's just bizarre. It has, it's so different from what we set out to shoot almost a year ago. Now, ha- so had you to- totally agree. And um, first of all, you're, you're a champ for putting on the smile and just going through with it. Um <laughs> But I expect nothing less. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Did Did you ever hear this story? And maybe you know nothing about it. And this is going to be news to you. Um, okay. That during the reshoots, when they came back, because like for years everybody complimented on or, or commented on the mask looking so differently for the reshoots, and it was later revealed that. Um, someone who I I guess that worked on the film, a production assistant or someone in there that was just angry about being back on that set. And with all the chaos, somebody poured some like harmful chemicals on the mask and it warped it and made it look different. Do you know anything about it or have you heard anything? No, no, nothing. I I mean, I, I know that George Wilbur, um, had been not replaced, but I think, uh, Daniel mentioned he wasn't available. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so suddenly we had, uh, Michael Lerner, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, you have to understand, darling, this was 26 years ago. Um, so (laughs) to remember everybody's name. Um, but he was 6'3 and completely different build. So Michael Myers became a different entity. Uh, oh, he was on a reshoot. keto diet. He was on the keto diet, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Zero body fat, and, um, you know, um, and he grew like, five inches. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, again, it was just, we were kind of speechless. I mean, there was nothing we could do about it. 
Um, and we all kind of complained to each other about it. Like, can you believe this? I mean, how is this even going to match? I mean, it just, like, with what we shot, I mean, how is this new location going to match? How is the, the new costumes going to match? How is Michael Myers going to match? How is, um, uh, you know, you name it. And that we were just sort of like, well, nothing we can do about it. Just got to just buck up and do it. And and we did. And we did, you know. For sure. No. Um, so um, I want to ask you, are, are you ready for some audience questions? Oh, yes, absolutely. These these are always fun. Um, yeah. Some of some of them we've we've answered uh, in covering the story, okay. but at the same time, I want to be respectful of the person who asked, and so that mm-hmm. they can get their question read. Because when people heard their question read on 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 Daniels, they I got I got tons of direct messages that just thanked me for reading that for them, and so I I want to be respectful and do that for them as well. Um, oh, absolutely. Of course. So Chad Morphis asks, um, in your opinion, what was the creepiest part of filming? I mean, obviously, we, we had already talked about this stuff's fun. You know, it's not really like that. But, you know, there there had to be a creep factor at some point for you, right? Because you're you're acting. No. No. There was a creep factor? No. Uh, it, it, like Daniel said, I mean, you're screaming, you're running, there's thick blood all over the place. And then the director yells, cut. And then you turn and look at all your friends and you all start laughing and patting each other on the back because you did it. You screamed and you ran and you did it. And, uh, no, there actually was not a creep factor. I mean, I know it might be better to say, oh, yeah, it was really scary. There was, like, weird shit that happened. No. Um, shooting horror movies, and I've done several, um, it's very difficult on the actor because you have to run and scream a lot. Um, so by the end of the movie, you have no voice left, bruises and cuts all over you, but you're just like, oh, it's like being a warrior. Right. In you know, like being a Marine or something in the trenches. Austin Williams asks, uh, what was the atmosphere like during the scenes when Wilbur or Lerner just put the mask on? Uh, I'm sorry. What do you mean? Say that again. What was it like? Yeah, what was the atmosphere like during the scenes when Wilbur or Lerner put on put on the mask? So what I'm thinking, what he's probably getting at is what was it like when they put the mask on and you saw them with the mask on? That's probably what he's getting at. Yeah. Okay. So um, what was very interesting is that both George Wilbur, who I adore, um, and Michael Lerner, who was lovely, um, once they put the mask on, they, bec- they became terrifying to me. 
uh, because the mask is so lacking of any human emotion and you can't really see their eyes. And this person or these two gentlemen that I really liked suddenly became terrifying to me. And I'm like, cut it out, cut it out. Can you just take, take the mask off right now? And they wouldn't. And then they would, like, tease me by, like, walking, like, really fast after me. And I would just be, like, running and just being like, stop it. Leave me alone. And uh, we'd laugh, um, ultimately. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the mask is very terrifying. Because of the lack of emotion uh, in in Michael Myers' mask, it just, uh, I mean, that's what makes it really horrifying. That's a great answer. Um, Dale, Dale Robinson asks, how do you feel looking back knowing that you were a co-star in Donald Pleasance's final film? Okay, now you're going to make me want to cry. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's all right. I'm sorry. I just really, I'm so grateful to be asked that question because um, it really, really... It really meant the world to me to work with Donald Pleasance. And had I known this was going to be his last movie, I don't know, I would have I would have given him a bigger hug when I said goodbye or something like that, you know. I just didn't know. And Nobody really do, but um, it's it's like, honestly <laughs> such a great honor. I'm dead serious, Chris. It's one of the greatest honors of my life. Like the respect I have for that man as an actor and a human being is immeasurable. So, I mean, the fact that. I I got to be in a movie that was his last movie. That's amazing, and it and it makes me really happy. Absolutely, I I agree. And he should have got a better swan song. His scene should have been cut. And um, yep, mm-hmm. you know Dan's words for him should have been left alone. Um, in my opinion. Um, I agree. Well, um, I love that. That what's what's the name of the 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 young gentleman who asked the question? Dale Robinson. He's in the UK. Okay, I love I love that question. That was a great question. I did too. I I really did because I was like, oh, and you know, like I I know that we had covered Donald Pleasance earlier, but I I knew that when this was sent in, I was like, this could be a nice little 
expounding on that earlier story is that this could be good. Um, yeah. Chad Morvis is back for a, for another question, and this is actually a really good one. Um, oh, I know him, yeah. He says, uh, could you ask her what was really in the cup for the Tim Strode stomach pounder and if she ha- if she happened to try it? No. <laughs> um, I don't know what was in it, and nobody tried it. Except, I guess, for Keith Bogart. He has to sip it in the scene. He <laughs> sipped it, right? Yeah. Um, no. No idea. We had I, we had so many other things to worry about. Um, no, and I'm not I'm not served it in in the scene. Right. No, right. I didn't, I didn't taste it, and I don't know what was in it. No. Joe Chappelle probably sl- slipped him some colon blow or something. <laughs> you. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> well, at least we're not crying, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't see that question coming from a mile uh, away. And it was uh, a very poignant question, and yeah. it hit me like out of the blue. And I love that young gentleman. I don't know why I think he's young. But that gentleman who asked it, I, I just think it's a very, it's an excellent question. I know it, so it totally on. was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Daniel Parker asks, um, "Do you know any plans to continue the series with you, Paul Rudd, etc., the cast of Part Six? And I said, "I think he means, did your agreement state anything about you appearing in a sequel? I, we we did cover that, but did you have any specific plans or anything like that?" Um. No. No. Um. There was really very little discussion about uh, myself or Paul uh, continuing on. Um, uh, We did sign agreements to do Halloween 7, but when that came around, uh, they didn't want us anyway. So (laughs) they had completely uh, rewritten the narrative, and um, they wanted you know, Jamie Lee Curtis back, and, you know, who can blame them? I mean, I would too. She's amazing. She's awesome. Um, DJ pillars. And he's actually, he's one of the people that are, that's going to be getting a poster. Um, awesome. Would you have returned for a seven with all the problems that was had on six? Absolutely. Yes. Even with Joe Chappelle. Don't answer that. No. <laughs> That's me being I, an a-hole. No, I I would have returned for seven and a heartbeat. Uh, I mean, I say that now. It's very, it's so easy. Like I said earlier, Monday morning quarterbacking about these things. But, uh, yeah, I would have definitely come back. Uh, John McCready asks... Um, Theatrical cut or producer's cut, and why? That's really tough. Uh, well, it's not tough. It's definitely the producer's cut. But 
the question why, uh-huh. that's tough. Um, I don't know. It's just because it was kind of sort of closer to what Daniel wrote, although it was not <laughs> what he originally wrote. Um, things were changed, scenes were pulled out, et cetera, et cetera, which happens on movies all the time. Um, I guess it was closer to what Daniel wrote. And I really loved that Druid, um, uh, that whole room that they created. Entertainment Tonight came on the set and interviewed me when we were shooting um, in the Druid uh, sort of dungeon that we shot that whole thing in. And uh, I was interviewed by Entertainment Tonight. I didn't think about it at all. Um, And then like three weeks later, I was home for Christmas back in New York. And I'm sitting on the couch, and my mother and I are, are watching TV and entertainment. Tonight comes on, and boom. They aired it. They were like, you know, Michael Myers is coming back. And I was like, oh, my God, Michael Myers? Is that like like my Michael Myers? <laughs> and then they just started, <laughs> you know, because of the, you know, the actor in Wayne's World, Mike Myers, you know. Right, right. You were like, um, and then they started playing the music, and I was like, oh, it is, it is, wait, what? And then I see myself, and I was so young. I mean, I, it was so hard to just see myself, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're airing this? And that's another reason why these shoots were so crazy, because it had already been established that this movie was, Done. It was signed, sealed, and delivered. The final cut. We all went to see. And then, you know, we get the call late in the summer. Like, you have to come back to L.A. for reshoots. But I, I will go on the record um, as saying um, it's definitely the producer's cut because it's closer to what Daniel wrote. And, I mean, I, I loved that whole, I can't believe, like, that whole set, they spent so much money on that set. Yeah, it and was definitely not extravagant. One, one, one ounce of footage from that set was used in the theatrical release. And I just, it just seems disgusting to me to waste money like that. Yeah, when I totally you, agree. The money you spent on that set, you give to, I don't know, Ecuador and feed an entire village for 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, John McCready was also the, the, the one who had asked that question. He also got a poster as well. I just want to throw that in there. Yay! Matt Gross, he's he's on the list as well. And this is, yep. a, good, this is a good question. This is a good question. Yeah. What was okay. your favorite, your personal favorite scene to film? I'm thinking... Um, okay. Do you know the scene where, um, 
we couldn't stop laughing. Uh, when, uh, I'm in the room with Mrs. Blankenship, with Danny, and Paul Rudd comes running in, uh-huh. and um, he he's basically like, Kara, you have to get out of here. Uh, what does he say? He says, oh. he says uh, go upstairs and lock the door, and whatever you do, don't go back to your house. Yes! Yes! Yeah. Whatever you do, don't go back to that house. We, Paul and I, and Devin, you know, who was a little boy, but he, he called. For some reason, I don't know if we were so freaking tired we were like killing ourselves doing this movie. We could not keep a straight face shooting that scene. And Paul couldn't get through it. And if he could get through it, I would bust up laughing. And to the point where like they, people got pissed. They were like, come on, come on, guys. You know, I'm serious. Um, <laughs> and so we finally... <laughs> <laughs> able to get through it without, but it was hard because the second I saw anything in his eyes, where he saw anything in my eyes that we we're about to like bust up about, uh-huh. we were done. Yeah, whatever you do, don't go back to that house. Yeah, um, how <laughs> 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 oh we? We couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. It was insane. And that's why that was my favorite scene because, I mean, it reminds me, I, I don't know, it's just like what Daniel said. It's, it's like shooting a horror movie is not scary. It's actually really fun. If it was scary to the people who did it, they would probably not be able to finish the movie. That's a very good point. Everyone would quit, everyone would quit and run. Um, it's actually super fun, and I've done several of them. Uh, and you know, there's there's really no. There, I mean, it's not real. It's a right. movie. Exactly. I mean, I hope when you see it, you're terrified the way I when I saw Halloween one as a, a child, I was terrified. For days afterward, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Right. Um, and I hope that's the effect that, you know, anyone, anyone, an audience member has. But, you know, shooting it, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I totally agree. I've, I've, uh, I've done a couple myself and uh, honestly. The, I know you have. The, 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 the outtakes the outtakes um, <laughs> they can they can go on forever and i i wish they would include more of that stuff in the in the special features um of some of these things yeah because yeah, that's 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 really the fun stuff so um robert floyd uh he's a big convention goer so he he asks this question a lot and you're getting it to um any plan okay. convention appearances or signings coming up that you know? Um, I, I ha- no, I have no plans. I haven't been asked. Um, so no, I don't know. I mean, I know I have some friends going to 
Monstermania next week in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't, I don't know about any upcoming conventions. Um, nobody's asked uh, us to do them, so. Awesome. And last but not least, uh, Ryan Hogle, who we've we've talked about. Um, yeah, of course. He wants to know what Paul Rubb was like to work with, and I know we've covered it a lot. And mm-hmm. do you know why he has shunned the film over the years? Okay, first part of the question, Paul Rudd was amazing to work with. He was a dream. Um, we had a blast, and, uh, you know, I stayed in touch with him for a little bit. I moved back to New York, um, and he became a movie star. So then we only saw each other sort of, you know, when we would run into each other, as we discussed earlier. Um, but he was a dream to work with. Uh, just amazing. The best. And why he shunned the movie, I don't know. You'd have to ask Paul. Um, I I just think, you know, when we're young and we want to be considered serious actors, maybe he felt like, oh, this doesn't reflect me as a serious actor or something like that. And, um I, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for Paul. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that was a, that was a yeah. great way to answer that because he's not here. And Ryan, I, I love Ryan like a brother, but, um, you know, there's no possible well, way that she could answer that. Okay. Um, all right. So, that does it for the audience questions and we're going to, we're going to work on wrapping up here. Um, okay. Even though this film is plagued with many flaws and is very hit and miss amongst fans, generally panned by critics. Uh, however, critics have praised the actors on the film and most notably, they absolutely loved you, uh, which is no surprise because we all love you too. So, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Um, oh, that's really fun. I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited to hear that. Yeah. And it's like IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes and countless other websites uh, have real film critics articles that loved your portrayal of Kara. They said that was one of the saving graces of the film. And oh so my my- God. I, how did I not know this? Okay. So my question to you yeah. is, what do you say to that? Um, you know what? I stand by my my portrayal of Carol Strode in, in Halloween 6. I really do. Um, I'm incredibly flattered um, that people liked it. I, I Honestly, Chris, I did not know that. Um, I kind of uh, go into like a complete denial about that's what I've done and I'm scared to look at stuff online because I'm scared to come across a mean comment yes. that will just send me spiraling. I'm so I just stay, I stay away from it so then I don't even get to read the good stuff. Um, but I, I just, 
I'm just so grateful and again flattered that anyone thought it was, I was decent in it and I really tried really really hard but it was so many years ago um and I was so young and green and um but I really really tried and um I've seen it recently and I said you know what fuck it I stand by that performance and you should. It goes back to what I said in the very beginning. It's you didn't act to play that role. You became that role and you owned it. And that was the it was very authentic and real. And um, I think that's why Thank a lot you, of Chris. it's true. Absolutely true. And like what I said, again, what I said about you opening the show about how just a warm amazing soul that you are it's absolutely true it's getting to know you on a personal level has been a dream come true for me um and it has been one of one of the things i've been most proud of um is being wow. able to connect with you and um, oh I have, man thank I, you i have a lot of respect for you um honey Sorry. Listen, we we have a big future together. You we know do. it. We do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. In a nutshell, um, Brandon and I talked about it, talked about it with Daniel. Nobody's had um, a real opinion on this, and I think you might. Um, what is Halloween 6's legacy in, in your own words? Its legacy is that it was Donald Pleasance's last performance as an actor on planet Earth. Mic drop. She just dropped the mic. Boom. That is the answer. Yep. That That is the perfect answer. Yep. All right, Marianne. Um, any, any final <laughs> thoughts? Any final thoughts for, for everyone listening? You know, um, shortly after the movie came out, I I kind of felt very um, defensive about it, and I wanted to explain it to people, and then I wanted nothing to do with it, and when people would ask me about it, I just felt so sad that it didn't come out the way we had all intended it to come out, and then I grew up. And now I realize, you know what, it is what it is. And there's great things about it. There's really cool stuff about it and moments that are amazing and harken back to Halloween 1 and bring that autumnal feeling to things that the other Halloween movies don't. Um, And then there's things about it that are just like kind of bad. (laughs) <laughs> and just right. don't make sense. Um, but what everyone needs to know is everyone set out to make a really great movie. And that's the way everyone sets out to make a movie. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. There's too much money involved and it's too embarrassing when it's not good. 
So everyone sets out to make a good movie. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's kind of in the middle. And I stand by Halloween 6 completely because it was Donald Pleasance's last performance. And I know uh, all of the actors, including myself, gave it our all, everything. Uh, everything we had, we gave to that movie. And Daniel Ferenc, obviously, as I've discussed throughout this interview, um, gave everything to it. You know, sleepless nights, writing and rewriting and rewriting. Um, and I'm really proud of it. And when it comes on AMC every October when they do the Halloween marathon and I have people calling me and texting me, people that I grew up with and like even my parents, they just say, oh my God, you were amazing and I love this movie. It's awesome. And that's totally cool. I, I I mean I love that and it was we we shot it twenty six years ago. Yep. Oh, it's gonna it's going to be twenty six years uh, this fall. Um. So now you know I just I look back on it with just such joy and a lot of um satisfaction that we you know we we did the best we could. We were all really young and scrappy. Just starting out, and we were all trying the best we could to make the best horror movie ever. That's what Paul and I would always say. We want to make the best horror movie ever. And that's what we set out to do. And, you know, I understand, um, apparently, from feedback that we didn't do that, but that was the intention. Right. And, um, you know, uh, maybe someday, you know, someone can pick up that whole storyline. Well, I think I might know a guy that um, has an idea or several. Right. Or at least a 110-page script that he wrote, he, yeah. he wrote in a week, but that's neither uh, here or uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, I'd like to meet that guy someday. Yeah, he he would really like to meet you too. And I, I mean, well, I <laughs> I think it's a he. Did I just give that away? <laughs> no, seriously. No, we'll just save that for another time. Um, but yeah, I I I want to wrap this up and just say thank you from the bottom of my heart um, for your honesty, for your generosity for sharing a little bit of your life with us, um, for being a friend, someone that I admire and just being who you are. And it is greatly appreciated. And, um, it's definitely, definitely been awesome. And, uh, I can't wait for people to hear, the person that I've gotten to know over the last couple of months. I can't wait. Chris, you're awesome. 
Chris, you are awesome. And um, meeting you has been one of the absolute delights of the last few months. And um, I just want to thank you so much for interviewing me and, and actually wanting to know what I think about anything. <laughs> it's awesome, and I love it. Thank you. Well, just know so you, got a, you got a lot Seriously. of people that, that, that love you out there. And, um, you know, I've, I followed your career throughout the years. And so, I, I mean, I, I know what you've been involved in and it was always my goal to one day meet you maybe at a con, but you know, I am so glad that we did it this way versus at a con because I don't think that oh, definitely. we would yeah. be where we're at right now. No way. I agree. Yeah. So, but yeah. thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you. Thank you for everything. I can't of say course. that. Thanks for listening to Halloween Unleashed. Be sure to download, rate, and subscribe anywhere you download your podcasts. From Apple, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And then join our social media channels at our official Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash Halloween Unleashed. On Instagram at Halloween Unleashed. And on Twitter at HWeen Unleashed. Be sure to share our episodes in your horror groups on your timeline and on Instagram. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Halloween Unleashed.